wish to die, please raise their hands. Hi guys, welcome back to Nightmares and Chill. I am one of your hosts, Eddie. And I am Jennifer Peroles. And welcome back to a podcast where we take one iconic horror movie. And one true crime story. And, and we, we bring, bring them, them together. together. Today is a little different. Yes, a little bit. We will not be talking about any specific movie or true crimes. We'll no. probably get to a bunch of them today. But right. we um, actually have a very special guest today. Mm-hmm. Our, the first, our first guest. Our first guest in Nightmares and Chill. Today we have... S.A. Bradley. Hi, S.A. Hello. Good to see you guys. Is that what you like going by? Is there a specific... What do you want us to call you? Uh, I always like to have S.A. Bradley said first, but after that, it's Scott. Uh, Reason for it is that prior to me getting into writing horror and and, and doing things like that, there is a Scott Bradley who uh, wrote a book called The Horror Book of Lists. And we know each other on Facebook, which is really weird. Oh, But I always, uh, I always let a, him. He was there first, so I'll just go with essay. I, I sound more pretentious with essay too. <laughs> Potboil detective. Yeah, no, we we like it. So um, we're very excited. We have um, essay Bradley, known as Scott, to Scott to the homies. Mm-hmm. Um, he <laughs> is the host of the popular podcast Hellbent for Horror. Uh, when did you start that podcast? Started in 2016. So we're coming up on five years now, and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been uh, a, a, quite a trip uh, between that and and then working on a book and and things like that. So, but I've I've really enjoyed it, and I love your show. I've been listening to it, and uh, like I said before, uh, the conversational way that you uh, he, you get so excited for each other <laughs> when the Aww. other one's talking about <laughs> what's going on, and it's like yeah. So I'll be out walking, uh, and I'll, I'll be listening, and I usually walk at night so there are times when you're speaking about something especially like the the uh oh my goodness the, the, the hotel i'm forgetting the oh, name the of that. yeah the hotel. hotel cecil yeah hotel cecil there was yeah. a moment in there when i'm going down this alley and i'm like oh, oh this is not no. the time to be going down this alley. <laughs> yeah no i definitely agree it's <laughs> definitely hard for me to listen to true crime on its own and i was never a true crime listener before i started doing this podcast when i was you know having jen tell me something every time and now i'll catch myself like listen to maybe other people do it and then it's like the only thing that scares me like i'm just like oh my god these are true things that happen and it just freaks me out um I did want to say before we, we started, we you also wrote the book um, Screaming for Pleasure, um, how horror makes you happy and healthy. And True first that. of all, that is so iconic, truly. It, it really is. What a great title for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got almost, you, you knock all of the things out of the park. You've got like innuendo, you've got right. something, you know, and it, you've got the almost like the, the title within the title. And I want to know what did you come up with the title first did you come up with uh was that something that you had already in in mind when writing the book or where did that come from 
the the title came once I decided I was going to start writing the book, and I started with a couple chapters, and I, I was bouncing around ideas. And one of the things that I like is uh, there there was this critic a long time ago who wrote a bunch of books, and her name was Pauline Kale. And all of her books were like Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. I lost it at the movies. So she had this double uh, double entendre going and innuendo and all of her stuff to mm-hmm. really talk about how uh, film to her was like a romance, like an affair. And so I kind of said, you know, that sounds like it'll be fun for me too. But, you know, when you're talking about horror, uh, people get... Uh, you know, a certain idea in their mind of what horror is. And if they have a movie that they hate, that's what all horror movies are. If they yeah. Have a horror movie that they love. Well, perhaps they, they're, they're bigger for it, but uh, there's a lot of times where it's, uh, it's put into a, uh, almost like I can almost feel them patting me on top of the head going, good for you. <laughs> for making your, your little horror show yeah. and your little horror book. Uh, so I thought that the idea of saying happy and healthy, how it makes you happy and healthy was, uh, something that I kind of believe in, but saying it that way is somewhat brash and, and it should make you laugh when you first hear it. You should be, you know, but yeah. Oh, I don't know what that means, but let's find out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Those aren't usually two, um, you know, uh, descriptives that you would think yeah. about when you think of horror, which is I think really fun that you've somehow managed to have it all and just literally reading the title of it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I like I tell people, you know, and they ask, you know, why, how does it make the, you happy and healthy? It's like, well, it's not going to cure your lumbago. And I'm not telling you that you should get off your meds or anything like that and just watch Friday the 13th. But what I, I'm saying, it's, 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 it's the little things, right? It's uh, what makes a life happy and healthy. And uh, I, I go off kind of like the Carl Jung's idea of a shadow self that we have this part of us, all of us have this dark part of us that we usually hide. And uh, he basically said, you know, you got to play with it a little bit. You've got to, if you don't, it's like a bratty child. You can't hide this part of you for terribly long. And if you do suppress everything, you end up on TMZ or something like that, getting into a lot of trouble. Uh, instead, you find ways to get around that. And some people, it, it can be uh, true crime, right? And, and for some of us, uh, or loud punk music or uh, whatever it is that really gets you, uh, that's a little bit uh, rude and, and a little crazy. Uh, and for me, it was hard. And so it, it kind of ticked that box, but it was really taking a look at can you have a safe and healthy handshake with that dark part of yourself and accept that part of yourself? You know, really trying to learn a little bit more about, you know, what it is that that makes you tick. Uh, and it's also a sense of play when you're in the world pretend. And it's the same with all, all genre films. Right. Uh, but the Marvel universe is a great place of where you're just, well, everything is pretend, right? Yeah, suspension the of more, belief. The deeper you get into it, the more excited you get by it. Uh, and I think horror movies uh, have that for people as well. You get this jolt, but it's not the reality. So it's almost like, you know, people are getting their vaccinations now, which is just a low grade version of the virus. And so horror <laughs> films at times, are a low grade version of what's happening in the world. There's right. so much I can't do anything about, right? I have no control, but as a horror person, I can watch something that scares me. And it's always my choice to turn it off. You know, right. but if I don't feels like I did something, you know, so yeah. it's little right. things like that. Yeah. It's like being in control of that fear you're experiencing. Kind of like going to go haunted house. You're going to get scared, but you're in control. You know, it's fake. Nothing's going to happen. But yeah, yeah. that's, I always have to explain that. My, my mom is the enemy of horror and she just does (laughs) not 
she does not understand like why, why do you choose to get scared like that to her isn't even comprehensible because it's just and you know i'm just like i you know it again it is that that can that contained fear that controlled right. fear and i you know yeah nicely nicely set yeah it's an interesting deal uh, i think a lot of uh, if you want to say western medicine and be all foo-foo about it but i think <laughs> yeah. there is this whole thing that happens with us where people believe that there are good emotions and bad emotions and, and the reality is all emotions are valid it's what you do with them afterwards so there is this kind of thing that happens when you say that you're into hard like wow boy you really you go to that terrible emotion now yeah i'm a nice <laughs> person i'm a peaceful person you know and it's like well I'm a nice and peaceful person. I just happen to go down this path. And so uh, that whole thing is one of the, the the many reasons that I say, why don't you just say horror? Horror does not deserve your shame. It's a right. valid and beautiful uh, art form that is the second oldest story ever told, right? The campfire, the cautionary tale, right. such a big deal. And, and, uh, and yet it gets no joy because when it's effective, it upsets you. And I think most horror films, whether they want to have a message or not, have a message because they have to get under your skin. And whatever that is, that's really bothering society at the time, you at the time, culture at the time. Uh, a horror movie has to do that to be effective. It has to upset the apple cart just a little bit. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And you, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, how it almost... Um, you know, there is like a shame when it comes to, you know, horror. And I, I think you look at specific movies, you know, that are, I always talk about this um, on the podcast, but I think Tony Collette's performance in Hereditary, have you seen Hereditary? Oh boy. Yes. I I think it's truly one of the most heartbreaking performances I've seen in such a long time. And it is crazy to me that that performance like wasn't even talked about at all or, you know, or even thought of as, as you know, Oscar worthy when it comes to like main media and, you know, and I think recently we've kind of gotten into more of a standard where like horror has been taken a little more seriously mm-hmm. you know i think we have jordan peele knocking it out of the park with his movies like get yes. out and us and you know ari aster again you know and mm-hmm. midsummer is Mid- yeah. yeah exactly you know and why do you think that still it you know like we have these you know first of all record-breaking ticket sales for these horror movies and these widely buzzed about movies and why do you think it's still not being taken as seriously you know as it you know even uh comedy movies you know or or what Mm -hmm. do you think what do you think is the you know the comparative why well, that's a great question. And I, I will say comedy also suffers. Yeah. You know, most of the time, if you see anything that a comedy will get nominated for, it's an acting performance. Exactly. You know, and so you'll have someone who is a breakout because they they border, they they kind of uh, straddle a couple different uh, performance styles. Uh, Kevin Klein in A Fish Called Wanda, an old movie, but his whole career started because of one comedic role, but he had been doing nothing but drama. But it gets nothing. And comedy Comedy does a lot of what horror does, where it gets deep down in there and get, goes to the impolite place. Right. Well, they always say they're almost, you know, like uh, the yin and yang, you know, comedy and horror. They they share the same almost beats like in a script, you know. Timing and surprise. Uh-huh. You know, you need to have timing. You need to have an element of surprise in both of them for, for them to be reasonably effective. Uh, I uh, It's very interesting that you mentioned Tony Collette because I could go on about so many great performances. There's a movie 
movie called the the taking of deborah logan oh, which yeah. is a movie about possession but mm-hmm. it's it's about alzheimer's Yes. And possession at the same. And uh, the perf- laid performance in that film is certainly worthy of an Oscar right. or at least a nomination. It never got anything. So um, it's interesting because you mentioned a couple things that are, uh, are cool in the question, one of which is uh, knocking it out of the park and record breaking. Most years, if you really take a look at the numbers, horror makes a huge amount of money for Hollywood and right. studios and theaters. And it's just never given credit. And maybe some of the the uh, problem is that people feel that it's so uh, pop culturey. But I think that uh, that's starting to die because I think pop culture is the new culture. Uh, it used to be where there was this difference. You didn't have uh, Marvel or superhero movies. You didn't have movies about cartoons. You didn't have movies about these things. It was separate, and drama was the thing that everybody kind of uh, rose to. But I think now uh, you had at least a generation where uh, pop culture has been embraced. We embrace all the freaky parts of ourselves and we allow that to be something that's defined uh, in in cinema. And the art is obvious when you're watching some of these films. uh, There's so much beautiful art inside of them. So uh, it's not as if it's new. Uh, that uh, horror movies are knocking out of the park. And it's not even new that they're uh, being as socially conscious. There have been those all through time. But uh, I think we're starting to see them not be as easily dismissed because the fans and some of the critics and some of the people who are making them will allow themselves to be vocal about it. Parasite is a horror film, a movie that won last year. And uh, it's magnificent. If you watch the uh, the other movies uh, from the director and the and even the uh, the the people who are actors in that, there's this obvious genre uh, brush that they've got that they really want to paint in. So um, I think people just have a negative feeling. It, I, I always like to say that maybe they don't hate the movies. They hate guys like me. They don't want to be fans of a movie that a guy <laughs> like me is going to like. They go, oh man, horror fans. They're the mouth breathing, knuckle dragon, blah, blah, blahs. And, and so there is that whole f- thing of uh, it's low class art. You know, it's it's lowest common denominator. It is extorting the, the base emotions of people to be an entertainment piece. None of which which uh, is uh, a good enough reason to denigrate something. Because if you take, uh, all movies are stunts. All movies do uh, lie to you. Uh, It's 24 lies per second. Uh, And you can sit there and watch uh, a a movie, you know, uh, Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick, uh, you know, one of the greatest directors. Eyes Wide Shut. What does everybody know about it? They were married and they were naked on on camera. Right, right. Tell me that wasn't a selling point. Yeah. Right? Tell me that wasn't sorted. Right. No, it, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, it will continue. I think too, you know, what also gets people to like go see a horror movie is you hear how shocking it is or how, you know, and right. again, it's always the curiosity kills the cat type of thing. And you're always going to have, you know, people who don't watch horror, they're going to hear somebody say like, oh my God, it was so like, right. I, I always think of, um, was that movie with Jennifer Lawrence mother? Oh, you know, know, that was, that was what people, you know, it It was was a very word of mouth slammed by critics, but 
everybody yeah. was talking about it. You know, everyone was like, you have to, you will not believe the mm -hmm. ending of this movie. You know, yeah. Yeah. we all want to be surprised. I think yeah. especially yeah. if you're a horror fan, you kind of go wide and far to find the thing that's mm -hmm. going to jolt you. Right. I'm always, I call it the first kiss. Uh, it's that the movie that it doesn't matter whether or not you enjoyed it. It galvanized you and it made you want to go back and see it again. And before you know it, you're going down the path. Like many of our first kisses, not necessarily the greatest right. in our lives. Uh, but at the same point, uh, it is so like soul level. Yeah. And that's what happens with a lot of people with horror. I'll, I'll ask, what's your first kiss? And the Shining's one that I hear a lot. Yeah. Uh, I hear Jaws a lot, Alien a lot. I hear uh, the um, uh, Insidious films, the first Insidious oh, is one that I hear a lot. The Babadook, which is uh, freaking awesome. Uh, so there's, uh, it really goes across the, uh, the uh, spectrum and there's a rather wide spectrum of what it can be a horror film because there's so many different styles at this point. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I think uh, that first kiss is so important. You're talking about trying to find something that gets you going. I lo almost look at it like a Scoville, you know, the, the Scoville scale. For yeah. Hot for hotness. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like at a certain point you kind of become like that with a horror, a horror fan. You're scared. You're easily scared. Like I was, as a child, I was a terribly scared kid yeah. and it became this thing of being attracted to the thing, which scares me. And that makes me uncomfortable and somehow being okay with that getting across the 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 uh the the darkness and get to the other side and and be okay and it became this thing of like i need to see something that's going to completely freak me out yeah. you go see these movies that are kind of like uh uh you know the haunted hotels and stuff it's just a hotel but you go there because of the reputation and it's right. like the air is heavier and i <laughs> yeah. remember picking up yeah. certain you know dvds back in the day of a movie that was banned in 23 countries and yeah you're touching it you're like shaking going oh my god what's going to happen with me just grabbing this thing yeah yeah and i think we do we go towards that and maybe that's some of the things that people have an issue with when we talk ab about horror uh that it feels like it's going down this this place that we shouldn't go right but I, I think we should uh i don't think we should live there all the time you know even though some of us go a little bit long <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because i actually did have um we we did have a question on you for here that was like you know as someone who is so you know horror is so enthralled in their in their body and stuff like that have you ever seen something that you felt may have crossed the line or is there such a thing when it comes to horror you know hmm. well yeah i think legally um i i don't think there should be a line crossing i think uh i think you should be able to express yourself but you also are going to have whatever the repercussions are yeah. if, uh, cult, right. uh, if uh, pro popular culture switches around and says no that's no longer funny that's no longer good that makes sense to me it's art it's constantly changing it's constantly flowing so is culture uh but I will say, personally, I've seen things that have, have bothered me. There was a movie called Confessions of a Serial Killer that came out in the, I think it was in the 90s. And I turned it off because it was just this thing of, it was supposed to be Henry Lee Lucas, but they never called him Henry Lee Lucas. Okay. That was this old idea of the guy sitting at a table and the detective comes in and says, tell me your story. And he hits the record button. And then we flash back to these horrible deaths. And there's this one death, which uh, as I'm watching it, I'm going, there's no 
emotion to this. And that's when I get disturbed is when uh, I'm watching something that's almost sterile mm -hmm. in its approach that I don't feel anything for anybody who's dying. I don't feel uh, anything but a loss. And, and, and that was when I really, I had that happen. A Serbian film, which I wished I had never seen because <laughs> there was almost this cachet of saying, boy, I haven't seen that. I'm a, I'm a great person. Right. But finally, I, I broke down and I watched it. And it's not that it's so out there uh, or so extreme, although it is. Uh, I mean, obviously, none of it is real. Uh, but I, I'm somewhat angered by the, it's so well done. It's so well created. I can't understand why you go there <laughs> right. with the story. And I was, and it's so funny to say because I'm a horror fan, but there are just certain things that I felt at a certain point they weren't trying to get an emotion out of me. They were showing me how clever they were at being yeah. profane. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's definitely like a, a good, uh, there is definitely that line, you know, like when you, when you watch something and you know that. It's just how the writers are at this point being like, what can we get away with instead of what story can we actually tell or what can we, you know, what can we convey? And it's just kind of at that point, you're just like, well, okay, we get it. Thanks. You know, I, yeah. So much of it is energy. Like uh, early on, I saw John Waters films and I saw like pink flamingos. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you, you, you might come for the dog shit eating, but you stay for the gaping asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're watching, oh, I'm so sorry. Can you swear on here? Oh, yes, oh, yeah, absolutely. Please go for I, it. I, like, I just went there. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> after yeah. the fact, after you bring <laughs> yeah. gaping it's asshole. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ask nope. What the, what the things are. But, you know, uh, that's a movie that uh, when I first heard of it, I heard of it in horror magazines. They had this faux interview with John Waters saying that he should be put in jail and stuff for these <laughs> oh cinema crimes. God. And so I'm dying. I've got to see these things. Right. And the thing is, I'm watching this movie and there's some real atrocious stuff in mm -hmm. all of his movies. But you laugh yeah. because uh, that may be one of the happiest movies I've ever watched is fun and joyful, even though there's all this terrible stuff that's happening inside of it. And there's such a difference. So sometimes it's what you're trying to say. And yes, he was trying to shock and uh, he was rightfully trying to shock in some ways. Uh, but I think he, he could not help but have his love for outsider characters 100%. I think the thing with John Waters is, you know, that it's all like, it's, all done with sincerity, you know, and I think some of my favorite movies, you know, uh, Cry Baby and, and Hairspray, you know, I, I think what makes you root for those characters is obviously we all love an underdog and yeah. those are all of his characters, including like the cool, you know, people and the, they're all underdogs and we all relate to that, at, you know, in some way, but I think he truly does it in a way where you it, exactly what you said he's doing it with love and he's and he's so smart you know it's never mm -hmm. crude just to be crude the jokes the jokes are done so well and it's and they're so absurd so wonderful if you've right. ever gotten a, 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 to grab one of his scripts if you ever read yeah the the, the, stu the dialogue it is so funny but it's so funny that you bring up hairspray because hairspray i uh, i went to see it in the the original hairspray in the theaters and i was like in tears like tears of joy mm -hmm. going he's gonna make it 
He's yeah. actually, he's <laughs> going to make it. This movie is so sweet. Who could not love this movie? I can't believe that my dad will like a John Waters film. He yeah. doesn't even know about those other ones. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was just so great. And I was like, that's a truly talented individual. And and his sweetness, he just took away all the all the drug references and all the dirty stuff. And he just kept the thing that was always a center of his stories. You know, us versus uh, the the weirdos. We are the weirdos, folks. It's okay, and we're all right. You know, we're we're actually doing well. You're the weird ones trying to pretend to be whatever it is you're trying to pretend to be over there. And so uh, I've always enjoyed uh, his stuff. And when he when he hit big, I was like, wow, I'm actually. People are not going to say who when I mention John Waters. Love that. He he was a John Waters uh, hipster fan. (laughs) (laughs) Before it was a thing. Yeah, before it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Back when you get arrested watching a John Waters film. Right. So, okay. As you know, our podcast has a little bit of a true crime element to it. That's my part, my baby. Eddie loves true crime. It's his favorite thing. <laughs> um, so much like horror, true crime also has a really big community and following. Why do you think that is constantly growing? Like horror, the community is growing. It's just getting bigger and bigger. Why do you think that is? I think because it's becoming more inclusive. I think people who have different voices are able to, are, are getting into it. They're, it's almost like, you know, I used to always see, uh, girls and I would see uh, uh, people of color uh, at at horror conventions, but not many, right? And something happened over the last decade or so where people started writing the stuff. They were fans and they were just kind of like, didn't want to say anything or weren't allowed to come to the party, whatever it might be. But I think what's happening now is all, uh, it's like the doors are opened. And so everyone who was uh, in trance and enjoying horror is now out there creating it. I think right. that's kind of what happens with, uh, well, true crime is really interesting because it goes across everything. True right. crime has just, it's like, uh, between the Super 8 Motel and then Hampton Inn, right? Yes, it's like, yes. uh, we're the Super 8 when we're in horror, but, uh, oh, well, true crime. It's got the, uh, you know, patina. Yeah. You get the, right. the soaps are wrapped. Right. So uh, right. people are, <laughs> people will uh, be uh, okay with uh, watching that. And I think there's something, uh, well, I'll ask in, in a moment what, what makes you so excited by it. But I think that it, it's now much more permittable. It's not seen as just this very narrow thing. Uh, Once we had this ability for other voices to be heard, uh, I think that just kind of opened the door for people to uh, come in and uh, enjoy it. I love how many women I see at horror conventions. I go to this thing called the Women in Horror Film Festival uh, that's down in Atlanta, Georgia every year. And it's... uh, all women uh, writers, directors, uh, filmmakers. And they're getting to a point now where they don't think they need to do that because there's so many women who are getting into it. But for a time, it was like, well, we need to have this this spot. But every one of them was so excited to actually be able to create. And they were like, oh yeah, when I was a kid, I was watching these movies. And people would be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not watching this other (laughs) stuff? It's like embracing, you know, we're, we're, we're breaking down things. And I think you had mentioned before about uh, is it getting more respectable and stuff. And I I mentioned genre. I think fluidity is helping 
Now, I think the idea of that everything is fluid at this point, I can't wait till labels die, you know, in art. I think that that's the velvet rope of art is saying comedy section. Horror right. section, thriller. What the hell is a thriller? Does anybody know what a thriller <laughs> yeah, is? What's, right. the, what's the line? Is it uh, when are you in Mexico? You know, where's the where's the edge of the uh, of uh, the demarcation line? Once those things start to disappear, and I think it's happening because we have such hybrid vigor right now, right. so many mashups, and that's another reason. Buffy the Vampire Slayer changed things big time. You know, uh, X Files, sure, but I think Buffy really did something because you have this this ability to tell stories that aren't directly horror, and yet there's enough horror in there, and the central piece is always going to be that gothic that gothic story that you can't help but be drawn in. I think uh, like Star Trek made so many scientists. Uh, I think that you have Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the X Files made so many horror fans. And yeah. they may be connected to earlier pieces, but they're the ones that struck gold. And then after that, you start have the doors start to open. You need that one thing that gets accepted unilaterally. And because that of that, that was really a hybridization. You have this, this idea of teen romance plus action, plus horror, plus comedy. And in such a way that you're you're thoroughly entranced by the characters. I think you're seeing that in cinema all the time now. Ari Oster, you know, uh, Midsummer. You have uh, a couple of different. That's part of that is very funny dark comedy. Yeah, uh, but it's also a pretty disturbing story about cults. Uh, that vigor that there is of uh, it's not just a science fiction story and it's not just a horror story it's both together both respectfully being done horror and comedy working together so well as we continue to do mashups like that genre labels are starting to die yeah and i think that's what's happening for identity it's what's happening for politics uh i i can't wait i think it's it's high time to see where we go and we're not immediately going into certain boxes and staying there. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's, yeah, you're definitely right. It's, I I love that you brought up Buffy too, because in your book, you have a, a, you mentioned, you know, that, um, you know, your list of, you know, top female directors and, and stuff like that. And I think it's, you know, while, you know, we won't go into politics with Joss Whedon and stuff like that, but right. I, I, I yeah. should also say, right. yes, the, the caveat to that is yes. yes Buffy was amazing and, and fantastic. Right. And you know, but unfortunately I, he's a dick. Yes. More no, so. d- yeah, definitely. But I think it is, you know, there is something to be said that, you know, and and I think this is such a huge thing in horror that, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about the final girl and all of that. And, you know, Buffy truly was, you know, she got to be a girl. She got to be girly. She got to, you know, you had the cute outfits and all of that, which is what I watched her for. It was like the mm-hmm. pretty white girl, <laughs> you know, who also fucking killed, you know, right. beat the shit out of these people. Yeah. And, and uh, again, marriaging both of those things. And yeah. I think it's queer, neo-pagan. Exactly. Yeah. Of stuff everything. So I, you know, I, I think it is, you know, we've come so far and yet there's still so far to go, but. Oh yeah. I'm excited to see, you know, people ask me, well, you know, why, why do you talk so much about uh, women in horror uh, and, and things such as, and I go, 
I need new stories. I'm selfish. Yeah. Why are we having like a huge portion of the human race not telling me stories and letting me see things through that focus? That I mean, I understand my filter. I've seen it a billion damn times. It's time to see what is happening when another lens is put there. That's why I really love The Babadook so much because I don't think that movie could have been made by anybody except for that writer-director. Absolutely. That movie gave me a panic attack. I had to... Yeah, stop. I had <laughs> yeah. to stop it halfway. I was like, "Oh my god!" But I was so, I need to finish it. And that damn kid, birth control. He's oh yeah, oh, no. truly <laughs> little kid. It's so inventive. <laughs> I mean, it invented a third choice. Uh, what I tell people about uh, the end of the Babadook is normally in these stories, you know, there's the monster mm-hmm. and. You have to kill the monster or the monster kills you. Those right. are the two things mm-hmm. that are going to happen usually. Right. They come up with a way, how do you live with a monster? Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. so smart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't believe that that's, that's the end and it works so well. And I was like, yeah, that's something that normally wouldn't happen. They'd be like, well, can't we have an in, in, incredible action sequence where <laughs> she's hanging off of a tree yeah, and yeah. holding the kid and the gates of hell open and the Babadook goes, ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a, yeah, gay, a monster gay monster too at that. Yeah. Oh, true. <laughs> true. Um, I actually am curious, you know, do you have you thought about, you know, maybe creating your own work, you know, like maybe writing scripts or directing movies, you know, you have all this knowledge and, you know, there's clearly a love for it. Like, yeah, well, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, I haven't, uh, I've written a few scripts and let's just say they're going to sit in filing cabinets mm-hmm. for a long, long time. Cause I've seen it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I made a short movie back in the early nineties called let's get dead, which really, uh, uh, two or three years after that, uh, natural born killers came out and did it. 700 times better than what my idea was of just celebrity and, and, uh, true crime. But, uh, I don't know. I would love to do it. If I, if I came up with an idea that so compelled me and I was like, wow, this is great, but it's so hard uh, to think on that. So I tend to write books like screaming for pleasure and I, right. I, I'm working on a new book and, uh, it's going to be kind of a, uh, Reverse engineering of horror is how I'm looking at it. So uh, there is this thing that always disappoints me, saddens me, because uh, together we're so strong. But when we separate uh, because of proclivities, uh, and we always get weaker, and it's about uh, heightened horror, or um, what was the other one that was very big for a while there? Uh, It wasn't heightened horror, but it was... uh, I can't remember. Uh, anyway, they were saying, oh, well, movies that don't have these certain cliches in them mm-hmm. are, uh, and they will bring up Ari Oster, mm-hmm. they'll bring up It Comes at Night. Right. Uh, these are all great horror movies, but you're separating it as if horror can't be smart. And if you continue to take any movie that is smart out of the horror pen, you are inadvertently turning horror stupid. There are no exceptional horror films if you keep retitling uh, the genre for a movie because you like it and you don't want it to be considered part of the Friday the 13th uh, pan right. of movies. And I, I wish that wouldn't happen. So what I'm doing is I'm kind of reverse engineering that and saying, here are the things that are the roadblocks to horror. Maybe if we get rid of these things, like, or we add things that are always fun, let's go back to why we love horror. And so uh, I'm, I'm coming up with all these different tropes 
uh, and and trying to name them and say here's here's the problem. We don't hate cliches. We actually are uh, tropes. We don't hate tropes. We have a problem with cliches. We have a problem with lazy tropes. We have a problem with seeing the same thing over and over again. It's like jump scares. It's very. I hear it all the time. I hate jump scares. It's like no, you don't. You hate right. poorly timed ones. Right. And, and them happening all the time. But a great one that's been orchestrated around a whole bunch of little uh, uh, suspense moments. We live for those things because we want to have that moment where there's a payoff that is so scary. Uh, but we have so many bad ones. So how do we work on that? So I'm, I'm trying to put something together now that's a book of uh, how to get around these tropes and make a really fun horror movie, just like you used to love. And so maybe I'll talk myself into a way of, uh, of writing a, uh, a horror story that feels a little bit original. And, uh, and just, uh, it's really, uh, instead of fighting this whole thing, I'm constantly in, in this fight of uh, going up against uh, 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 elevated horror and things like that, right. uh, these terms. Uh, instead of fighting that, ride that wave and reverse engineer it. What, what is your, your, your real problem with this? Okay, well, let's take a look at that. Let's give examples of movies that didn't do that. And let's see how far back we can go with that. And maybe there's something that you can steal. You know? <laughs> maybe you can turn it into something really cool and interesting. That's awesome. Well, we definitely look forward to that. So I want to ask a question, oh. Jennifer. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you mentioned true crime, right? I did. And you said, why do you think it's so big? Well, I, I'd love to find out. You don't say horror, you say true crime. And so it tells me that you have a passion for true crime. What is it about that specific thing that was your first kiss? What was the thing that got you so excited by it? Um, probably the West Memphis 3 case. That was satanic panic to a T. That case really like got me into true crime. Since I was young, I was really into true crime. And as I got older and was uh, listened to more podcasts, I read books, TV shows. I just got really, really into it. So when this podcast idea came up with Eddie, I was like, we need to mention like we need to have like a true crime aspect with it, too. Um, I just always been super into it. And I think with podcasts, it also gives a voice to the victims the victims' families, which is often ignored and not seen. So I think we wanted to contribute to that community as well by doing our part, by bringing up stories that aren't talked about as often or helping the victims, putting their names out there, stuff like that. I think that's a really interesting point because one of the things that I always used to hit on was that horror movies were at least honest as opposed to mysteries because mysteries, uh, they have the, the, the victim... Right. And, and you have that happen early. And then the rest of the thing is denigrating the victim and denigrating everybody who's a suspect. It's basically saying we're all kind of foul human beings. Right. Uh, and uh, that was always the thing that I, I couldn't ever understand why mysteries were held in such high regard as opposed to horror, where horror, at least you're empathizing with uh, the, the person who's being chased at some point, unless you're, you know, freaking crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. But, uh, you know, the thing about true crime, which I think is really interesting to me, is that it is almost built for curious empaths. People who mm-hmm. cannot help but feel themselves uh, in in this position of those that can't speak anymore, right. and it can be dangerous. I mean, uh, obviously, we see online detectives uh, sometimes go a little bit off the rails from the obsession. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
but I think that that's a, that's a really valid point, and it, it actually makes uh, true crime feel um, a little bit more. Uh, I won't say wholesome because that's a strange word to use <laughs> yeah, for it, right, right. but uh, but it it has a higher. Uh, aspirations, even though it is something that lives in the in the in the world of the curiosity. And I think right. the first thing is you're like, how could that happen? You know? Right. And I think it's kind of like watching a horror movie. You experience these stories like safely, like watching it on TV through your phone. So it kind of gives you that same feeling horror movies do too. But unfortunately, you know, it's it's real life. Yeah. And I think with the podcast. You know, we try to mention the victims as much as we can because people know like who Richard Ramirez is or like, I don't know, the BTK killer, but you can't name a victim probably. So we try to like give them a voice too. And I think most podcasts nowadays are trying to do that as well. It's like a thing in the community. I think it's a great idea. And I, uh, I watched the Richard Ramirez. I, I haven't been watching too many uh, documentaries about serial killers. Uh, I, I go in and out of it because uh, I mean, I was watching them a long time ago and it's just weird how it becomes a sensation, like people wearing Manson shirts and stuff. Oh, and it's really, yeah. really no. strange. Yes. Uh, but, so I really like the new Ramirez documentary because it's almost like he's an afterthought. Exactly. Yes, that's why Eddie that, and I loved it so much was for that exact reason too. Yeah. It's yeah. like dismiss the monster. Yes. We'll, right. we'll show him at the end. Yes. And, uh, and I don't want to, uh, there's only a few monsters that I want to uh, ever uh, emulate or, or uh, feel as if I'm connected to in some way. The Babadook is, is the <laughs> modern right. Frankenstein monster, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, Frank, if you look at Frankenstein uh, and the fans of that time where you see the Frankenstein monster they always talk about him because he was the outsider he was mm-hmm. you know he did he was clumsy and brutal at times but he never wanted to be that right. way and right. he was persecuted for it and mm-hmm. i think you can see that with the babadook as well the babadook is scary as hell but the babadook comes from this this dark place inside of uh the last thing that you want to have uh, a movie about you would think a mother hating their kid because of what happened to the person they love yeah. right that's yep. so so great you know yeah. the, the the thought you shouldn't have the Babadook is the thought you shouldn't have. And yet, mm-hmm. and, and I just love that. I, I think that there's something to be said about how at the end, you don't think that the Babadook is any more evil than the Frankenstein monster. Right. Right. I don't know. And it, it, it's also, I mean, the whole thing with like horror and true crime, you know, is it really is almost, you know, you get to experience, Explore those ugly sides and those intrusive thoughts. You know, we mm-hmm. all have them, but yes. you know, the thing with horror is that we get to almost live it out. We get to see what happens if we, did, you know, those intrusive thoughts right. did occur or did happen or we did go through with them. And I think that's what people find so fascinating too with horror. You know, it's like, oh, okay, yes, I've seen it now. I see the beginning, middle, end of that intrusive thought, and I don't have to think about it again. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. See, I love it for, for that reason. You know, I'll talk about how uh, I, it's ripe for allegory and metaphor, and you can, any decade that you're in, you, even the cheesiest horror film, you can see what people were afraid of, what paranoia mm-hmm. there was, and it can't help but talk about our dirty side. Uh, but at the same point, a good old-fashioned bucket of blood and people running around screaming, uh, I'm, I'm up for that. I'm your Huckleberry. It's fun. <laughs> I enjoy um, that kind of thing. Is there a true crime that you are into that like piqued your interest that you were super into that you maybe um, researched on your own? 
Oh, boy. Uh, well, I had some that I was really obsessed with. Uh, I was obsessed with uh, back in, I think it was 1984, 1985. Uh, it was really the very beginning of the satanic panic thing. It was mm -hmm. uh, the Northport, Long Island satanic murders. It was uh, basically a drug deal gone bad. But mm -hmm. it was uh, a couple heavy metal kids that spent all their time carving pentagrams into uh, the walls of, uh, of buildings and stuff and listening mm -hmm. to heavy metal and being wastes out in the, in the street and taking LSD. And then two of them uh, killed one of their friends, uh, carved out his eyes, all this stuff, and, and oh put God. him in a shallow grave. And then they had all of the other kids come to see the body. And it was kind of like River's Edge was a movie that was kind of like that. And uh, someone finally went, okay, for a while, they were just like, you know, solidarity. We don't tell anybody. Uh, yeah. But one kid finally couldn't stand it, couldn't believe that this was happening and mm -hmm. went to the police. And it became this huge thing, not only because this kid killed another kid, uh, but that it uh, was this complicit nature that happened with all of these teenagers. What blew my mind about it, why I got obsessed with it was the story itself is very sordid and scandalous in its own way, but it's, it's, it's really small. Why in Northport, Long Island, which is a rather rich area, I mean, you live in Long Island, you live in Northport, mm -hmm. uh, the property values are up. And at that time, very yuppified. Uh, why would these kids who had homes leave the homes and right. become street kids right. and then do this? What did that say about what was going on in the, the culture at that time? Right. And the idea that I could understand when you're an outsider and one of the outsiders messes up, which I think we're kind of reconciling with now with all of our heroes not being very heroic in real life, but mm -hmm. we love their art. When you're an outsider and you've already said they don't want us, we're brothers and we're going to stay here for, until the bitter end. When somebody does something unconscionable and everyone kind of heard Metallica tries to hide that. But everything else that we're, we're up for is so great. So they hide this, this terrible murder because they feel a solidarity that is hollow and is not really there. And I could relate to that because I was a kid who uh, I, my parents were in a fundamentalist Christian religion that thought the world was going to end and all this. <laughs> and I rebelled and I went into heavy metal. And the scarier the music, the better. The more seemingly demonic, the better. Right. And, I, and we would go to concerts and there would be, you know, people with bullhorns and pamphlets, whipping pamphlets at us, telling us we're going to go to hell. Other, some of the kids are screaming at them. It was like this weird melee, a froth of everyone's collective anger about some kind of strange freedom and permissiveness that was, I don't know if it was even existent. And uh, I was caught up in it. And so... I felt that we were all kind of in it together, like this could actually be an army or some kind of great force. Mm -hmm. And then this kid does this. And overnight, you know, you got people pointing at you. Overnight, people right. are like, You're are you on drugs? And the police are just mm -hmm. stopping you and stuff. And right. you they have a body count. They've been looking for someone or a reason to hate you that is real and valid. And that kid did that. And so I found myself, why am I, how close did I come? You know, it's one of those mm -hmm. things where for that true crime for me, it was, I could see myself going down that path. Would I have said something if a friend of mine, my closest friend showed me a dead body, would I try to hide it? What would I do? I'm a teenager. And yeah. 
I, of course, feel that I would do the right thing. Right. But the idea that I have a moment that freaks me out, that I sit there and go, would I, is, right. is the heart of why that story is so obsessive. Because right. we have this, I, I meet my shadow mm -hmm. at that moment. It's like John Waters, who for years would go to true crimes. He would go to the, the courts and he would sit there for serial killers. He was there for Manson and stuff like that. And uh, they people asked him, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? And he goes, well, it's not that I want to scale the fence between you know uh, normal behavior and the criminal mind, mm -hmm. but I'm fascinated by anybody who actually climbs it. Right. And so I can't take my eyes off the person who I see dangling over that fence and jumping over the other side. And I think that I, I felt that fascination. And then I had something that just felt like it really hit home. So there are serial killers that I follow. I mean, the Zodiac killer was huge for me. I'm yeah. in San, the San Francisco Bay Area. Yes. So Zodiac mm. is like this, still this wonderful myth. Yeah. And there are times when you're walking in the fog in San Francisco, you're like, oh man, <laughs> yeah, he, this guy, this guy. But uh, yeah, uh, so true crime, it's interesting when it does hit home, oh, it definitely. hits very deeply yeah. and uh, it does go right to that thing of the shadow. And sometimes you find yourself uh, feeling a little bit more like a bad guy. And yeah. other times you feel like the caretaker. Can I help someone else not have that happen to them? Yeah. And, and with true crime too, it's scary because it seems like it can strike anywhere. It has striked it. Like in That's the schools, thing. it can like be a doctor, so, a mother, a teacher. It's, it's it everyone. It can happen you know? to anyone. And, yeah. I, and that for me, I think it's why it's almost so, you know, if anything, you know, it's, it's so much more terrifying. You know, the fact that you know, you ask everybody, I mean, you, we just talked about, you know, Richard Ramirez and that's like the hot, you know, um, topic right now, but you ask everybody, especially in we're in the LA area, everyone has a story about, you know, like the night about the night stalker. And it's just right. And it's insane. It's like, what, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. yeah, I mean, I've gone to, uh, places, locales where, uh, uh something had happened, murders. Mm -hmm. I've also gone to where horror movies have been uh, <laughs> yeah. shot, you know? Yeah. So uh, weird guy, but there, there is that whole thing of, uh, it can happen anywhere. And that's right. really the difference of, you know, people talk about modern horror and modern horror, they have to come up with a new name because, you know, modern horror is up for double ARP. It started in like <laughs> 1968, right? So it's not really that modern. But the big difference is when uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock acknowledges with Psycho that the boy next door might kill you. Right. You know, and there, I wonder how often, I mean, you can go back to the, the World's Fair in Chicago and H.H. H. Holmes has his torture house and everything. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's not documented for a long time. And then it finally is. Uh, I wonder how many serial killers, you know, we talk about how many there are now. And I'm wondering if there was really this explosion of it. I do think that's true. But I wonder if there were many more that just didn't get talked about because of who they killed when they killed, right. uh, were, were people really noticing, you know, what was happening? I mean, you get something, somebody like Jack the Ripper and it's amazing that they saw, uh, because he wrote, you know, he wanted, you know, he wrote letters, right. but other than that, if you don't want to get caught, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the early roads, you know, when the, before the interstates, when you're on these little roads, these little hotels and stuff, uh, you think about how often uh, the Green Book, say somebody decided that they're uh, back in the day, they were going to get a copy of the Green Book and start killing people who are trying to stay in safe places. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm sure that the, the criminal mind thought about those kind of things and may have done it. And because of who was being killed, nobody cared. You know, and uh, and and it's happened in in, in so many different areas mm-hmm. of our society uh, that uh, I don't know, but I will Absolutely. say that a lot of people will point to World War II as kind of being this moment when everybody came back from World War II. That that's when you started hearing in the fifties was Ed Gein and guys like right. that. Mm-hmm. You started hearing more and more about people who were killing other people with guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Now. I can't even believe how often things are happening. It's uh, it's almost like I don't know how how it's almost like that's true crime. Like right. we're yeah. living in true crime. No, literally. Yep. You know, you open Twitter and yeah. literally every there's a new story of something so horrific, and it's yeah, it's yeah. You and know, we don't even see all of it. We just see like what the media puts yeah, what the out. Media Imagine puts like out, everything what they tell we, us. we don't see. Oh, it's, I, I, it's I don't crazy. know if I'd sleep if I knew. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. No way. Give, give me demonic possession to scare me any day. <laughs> Maybe that's why I go to horror so much because it's like, oh man, all I have to do is, you know, take a look at the news and, and see you know, <laughs> yeah. what they're actually eating people now. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all fun and games until they start copying the scripts. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So you, um, we, for new listeners, you know, you know, maybe for people who've listened to us who maybe haven't listened to um, Hellbent for Horror and or read your book, you talk about horrible, beautiful. Um, can you explain that a little bit? You know what? Sure. I, I mean, I talk about horror as like this beautiful art form. And uh, I think that horror, horrible, beautiful is uh, like this high mark that you can get. So uh, the best example that I give is that it's uh, when you feel a sense of awe in what you're watching, something that is grotesque, but at the same time, you can't take your eyes away from it because whatever it is is so stunning, even though it is disturbing. And probably the best example that a lot of people have seen is the alien movies, where the first time you see the alien, it's so foreign, it's so sexual, it's weirdly phallic, it's disturbing. uh, And the character, it does so many different things that you can't help be fascinated by it. So there's there's the gore idea, there's terror. If you look at uh, the definition of horror, it's like uh, an intense feeling of fear, surprise, dread, uh, and uh, and terror, and so you have those things which are uh, different, varying levels of shock that you can get. But I think awe, which is kind of in the dread fa- uh, spot, where I would put Ari Oster's work, mm-hmm. is kind of in the dread spot. That head getting uh, the decapitation mm-hmm. and seeing the flies, that's horrible, beautiful. You can't take your eyes away from it, but it is one of the most horrible things that you can think of. The psychic impact of it is so huge. And so uh, I look at Horrible Beautiful as these moments where you are almost hypnotized by the image. And it takes you to a space where uh, you have this sense of helplessness. That is how you would look at beautiful art, 
and how you would or a painting, or if you heard a song beginning and you just stop and you listen, you're like, what is that? Mm-hmm. That is horrible, beautiful. And I think that horror and music have that in common. One note can change your attitude. One shot can change how you're feeling in, in that day. It, it is a moment of art that I think you know every, every art form can get to, but not that often does it really attain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's crazy. What what would you say was your was your like horror like as of recently what was something that you would consider horror beautiful? Oh, that's great. I think all of Midsummer is um, uh, yeah, amazing. Definitely. That final sequence where you have the the barn thing on fire. Yeah. And yeah. you hear the screams and she's trying to go across this bucolic green field and she can barely move. There's so many flowers on her. She's like making this almost animalistic groan. Mm-hmm. And, and then she has this smile. I'm like, wow, that is purely horrible, beautiful. It's something that I would have never thought of. Uh, it is dazzling in color and it's, it's not pretty. It's, overpowering right. in, 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 in its imagery. Mm-hmm. And so you have this really disturbing center to this, this, this woman trying her hardest to pull away from these burdens. And so I think that that's an amazing piece of horrible, beautiful. Uh, I, I think the, uh, I hate to beat a dead horse, but the Babadook, yeah. And the first time you see the Babadook on the ceiling, that is a horrible, yeah. beautiful moment. Yeah. And, um, Oh my God. Uh, Insidious. Weirdly enough, the first Insidious film, uh, the uh, black and red beastie. Yeah, yeah, right behind him. him. Yeah, it is such a a wonderful, horrible, beautiful moment. All I have to do is say black and red beastie, right? And uh, and immediately know what it is. Yep. And, and so I, I love that. And, and horror is, is great for visual images, uh, but uh, the horrible, beautiful one usually gives you that, that feeling afterwards where you just, ha- you can't shake it for a little bit. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's why I think it has just a little bit more meat. Yeah, no, definitely. And we, it's funny that you bring up Midsummer because when Jen and I saw that in theaters, I think we, the, it's probably one of, my favorite movie theater going experiences like today i think just the there's something so wonderful and i think that's the thing that i miss so much you know that this Mm -hmm. pandemic has taken so much from us but like especially like with the horror community going to you know a scary movie you know opening weekend and having that crowd of people who are just as excited you know to see that movie with you and absolutely and it's such a communal effort right yeah i think that I think that horror, uh, horror is, is great because it's an audience participation yeah. kind of uh, experience. But I always look at it as tent revival. You know, we, we go there. It's almost like a spiritual experience when you <laughs> yeah. go to a theater. No, definitely. definitely. And, you know, I think that movie specifically will always be hold like a special place in my heart. You know, I think it just because of the the reactions were so perfect. Like, you know, like it's exactly what you want, you know, mm-hmm. and I always you know, when I've shown that movie to like, you know, friends or family members that haven't seen it before that didn't see it in the theater, you know, I, I always just, you know, it's almost disappointing because you don't get that reaction, (laughs) that same reaction, but we're, we're curious to, to know what's been your favorite, you know, movie, horror movie theater going experience, you know, what's something that, uh, you know, that you've been to where you're just like, damn, that was, I I wish I could relive that night or I, I wish I could go. 
Oh, wow. Well, uh, there's there's a lot of horror movies that when I get out of them, if they're really fantastic, I'm like, I've got to tell people about this. This yeah. is amazing. Call up friends. I think the one that was probably the most profound, and it's old, but uh, it was profound because uh, nobody knew about it. And it's so known now, it almost seems impossible to believe that it was uh, a word of mouth film, but it was A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original one. Oh. It was not even, there were no ads. Uh, the guy who made it, Wes Craven, was a nobody, mm -hmm. really. He made a couple That's movies crazy. before that. And he was like, uh, he made Swamp Thing, and people were like, what the fuck's wrong with this <laughs> yeah. guy? And, and, and so uh, Nightmare on Street was opening very quietly on a Friday night. And uh, the only way I knew about it was Fangoria Magazine had this little black and white picture opening in October, Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. And they showed a picture of Freddy Krueger, but it was in black and white. And it was like smoky. They had steam all mm -hmm. around him. So I was, and he was wearing a fedora, right? <laughs> so I'm looking at it. I'm like, going, what is this? Like a 1940s? No, I'm oh boy, dead. this could be terrible. It's this monster in the London fog. This sounds horrible. <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street did not sound like a great title. Right. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go see this thing. And I'm in the theater with like maybe eight people on opening oh my night. God. Big theaters, like eight of us. And we're sitting there. Nobody's sitting next to each other. We're like hanging on. The thing. <laughs> so and it funny. opens and the screen shrinks instead of getting bigger. And you have this whole thing of this, just hands building some weird device and there's steam and smoke. And then he puts his hand up and you're like, what the heck is this? And it goes directly into a surrealist nightmare, mm -hmm. which hadn't been very much in horror films at that point. It was very much a slasher movie time period. So it was a very human monster for the most part and mm -hmm. very human dismemberments. You're not expecting somebody to go, please God. And then a guy puts up a handful of razor blades and he goes, this is God. And you're like, holy shit, what am I watching now? This is crazy. So by the end of that movie, as weird as it was, it was so low budget. We were like, leaning forward we're going please please keep going no 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 we're in, we're in your court just this is fucking amazing what is happening and by the end of that movie all eight of us like popped up and went what what <laughs> and we just ran out and we're like calling people it took a year for that movie to really start getting uh some some uh energy i went to a college uh parade a halloween parade dressed as freddy krueger nobody knew who i was like what oh the God. heck are so you funny. and and so one of the guys in a frat was looking down going oh glove dude guy or something <laughs> he said something like that that was the only recognition that i got so that is probably the most profound one because it became a uh, a huge part of uh, our culture. Yeah. And it was unexpected. Nobody knew. And it was something special that, well, felt like it was just mine. And so it was almost like when you have uh, the band that you followed back yeah. when they were, you know, playing the dive bars and now they're, they're filling arenas. <laughs> yeah. like, now Freddy Krueger is a sellout. <laughs> yeah, they're sellouts and stuff. So I kind of went through that with Nightmare on Elm Street, but I did find that to be just amazing. Uh, there's a movie. Uh, oh, my goodness. I'm drawing. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. It's an Irish film. Uh, and I think it is just truly amazing. Uh, let me see if I can. Oh, this is terrible. This is one of those editing moments. Yeah, yeah no, we'll do okay. it. Don't worry. Oh, I can't believe that I can't think of the name. Uh, ba uh, uh, basically, it's a story of a woman who goes to a, uh, a uh, basically a pagan who can do a 
ceremony and he turns this mansion into a ceremony. They put a big ring of salt around the entire mansion. They cannot leave for months. And each room is turned into like a ritualistic thing. And they're trying to, at least what this guy thinks, they're trying to connect with her dead son, a child. And he's saying, you know, once we start this act, we can't get out of it. And you don't know who's listening. And this might go bad. And so it's this deep concentration on grief, but it also turns into this thing about revenge. And God, I'm, I'm, I'm saying all this, hoping right, the it's It sounds interesting. Goodness gracious me. I, I named it one of the best of like 2018, 2019. I can't remember. For it's it's a recent one? Uh, let me see if I can find it. Oh, this is so terrible. I, this is what happens when I'm on live, right? Okay. Yeah, right. Don't worry. Well, that's the the that's where Eric will come yeah. in and make it seem like you yeah. knew it all along. That this never well, happened. thank you, Eric. Uh, goodness <laughs> gracious, I can't believe I can't remember. But talk about an impactful film. It is so full of scary imagery, but it's a ghost story. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a lot of jump scares. It's the idea of like she's a voice is on the other side of the door and it's her son and it starts saying terrible things. And she goes, and the voice goes, you know, I'm not your son, right? Oh, goes, I do know. He goes, I'm just another one of those. And he says this terrible word oh, and it's no. like, wow. And there are so many sequences like that where I loved it because so many times. Is it a dark song? A dark song. That's it. Yes. A dark song is so good Uh, uh, because you watch so many movies where it's like, oh, let's get a Ouija board. Oh, my God. We brought Mm -hmm. the actual devil here. You know, it's like it takes nothing to talk to the dead. And what I loved about this movie is the dead are if they are this otherworldly thing living on another plane. Why would they be interested in us at all? You have to get their attention. So they start by doing all these things and trying these rituals, but until they're like ready to really put their lives on the line, like he's Mm -hmm. drowning her at one point, (laughs) that's when the ghosts are going, hmm, that's interesting. You've got my attention. And once you get their attention, how do you get to not be of interest to them? Do you have them following you for the rest of your life, however long that might be? And just the idea of the torturousness of that and the vision, there's such great imagery. There was one sequence where a dark room is lit only by the coal of a cigarette. Nice. And it's just this little glow that comes up. Mm-hmm. There's not supposed to be anybody in the room. So what? The ghost is smoking in the corner. It's like, <laughs> holy shit, this is freaking weird. And I just, I love that movie. And I'm hoping that the director gets another chance to make something. Because uh, in the end, it's a, a somewhat spiritual and uplifting movie. Mm-hmm. But on the on the path, because there's certain things that happen, it is really scary, really disturbing, and it's never a jump scare. It's the idea of dread. Right. It's the, the the sense of grief. How do you make grief look like something on on the screen? So I really, really appreciated seeing that one. Nice. Well, we definitely got to look into yeah, that. Yeah, it sounds really good. Um, if somebody was to come to you for a movie recommendation, horror movie recommendation, let's say they're brand new to the horror genre, they're they're just trying to like figure it out, see what it's all about. What would you recommend to them? Yeah, like to what's watch? your gut reaction? Like, oh, oh boy, yeah, <laughs> you know that's one of those things where it's almost like you have to do a, a an 
entry exam uh, yeah, because right? there's so exactly. many different styles yeah. uh, of mm-hmm. horror. And what I tell people is if you don't like horror, keep looking, ask people who are horror fans and tell what you like or what you don't like. And we can steer you because there's, there is a horror movie out there for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I like to do is I try to get, uh, if they've not watched a horror movie before, I try to go towards something that's a little bit more psychological uh, because uh, I think people are uh, that are not horror fans can deal with the psychological horror a little bit more than vampires or demons and things like yeah. that. So there's this uh, another Irish film, weirdly enough, <laughs> one that I love because so many, so few people have seen it. It's called In Fear. Okay. And the whole thing is improvised uh the actors had characters that they played they were told where to drive and they had no idea what was going to happen when they would get to certain areas and they would have to go through this thing so they're uh, when the fear starts to happen when Mm -hmm. they're getting scared it's the actors are truly losing it a little bit so it's nothing more than a story of two uh, British folk who go to Ireland and they want to get to a, a uh, bed and breakfast and they're on this road and they can't find it and it's getting dark and then it is dark and they keep going around these turns and they're back where they started. And now there's clothes in the middle of the, of the, of the street and they look and it's their clothes. And it's like, where are our bags? And the bags aren't in the oh, car anymore. Oh, it's my like, God. Oh my and, and all this stuff keeps happening. And it's just, you. Uh, and the end of the movie, you kind of know whether it's real or not, but mm-hmm. there's still a moment of second guessing. And it's one of those things that it had me on the edge of my seat because I was not expecting it to be as simple as it was. Mm-hmm. And I love when a movie limits itself and still... Sometimes that's the best thing. It's like Stephen King novels when he's talking about different worlds and planets. I'm like, oh God, dude, just (laughs) it's a guy tied to a bed with a woman with a mallet taken out his ankles. Now you've got my attention. You know, he's a lot better when he limits himself. And I think sometimes with horror, uh, the idea of making it smaller and smaller and smaller is big. Uh, Jaws, I always tell people, you know, even though it's ancient, that's probably one of the most perfect horror films ever made. You got this idea of uh, the sea as Mm -hmm. the underside of your Mm -hmm. bed, the monster under your bed. And uh, it's so primal and it's so visually smart uh, as a horror film. So movies like that, uh, the second half of The Exorcist, I don't know. I I, I always (laughs) think The Exorcist goes too slow. (laughs) <laughs> for, for for modern audiences. I love it, but that's because I was scared to death of it uh, many, many years ago. Right. Uh, but I uh, but I think that still has a one-two punch in the second half. There, there's something. Well, it still terrifies me. Absolutely. Like, I, I will think, I when I see, like, any images from it, I'm always like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love John Carpenter's The Thing. I think that's another one that's really good because it's science fiction and horror. So, uh, I... I I, I always think that the best way to get into horror, uh, unless you're really adventurous, is to dip your toe in with things that don't necessarily feel like horror. And then all of a sudden you're immersed in it. And mm-hmm. so uh, Boy, the thing feels like a science fiction film for a little bit. Yeah. Right. No, definitely. And I think that's a good point, too. I think um, and I think we, we see it now with so many, you know, uh, again, like, oh, you know, uh Almost like Stranger Things, for example, I think yeah. is a really good example of, you know, not necessarily, you know, categorized as horror, but when you watch it, it, it is a, it is horror, you know, and it, it has all of the elements of, you know, 
a, a great horror movie or a great horror show, but you know, you mentioned something magnificent talking about stranger things. I think that instead of cinema, like a 120 minute to 90 minute movie. I think the mini series is oh, the yeah. way to go with horror at this mm-hmm. point, just about any storytelling. But I, I will say that for now, uh, until it starts getting too flabby and stuff, the imagination has really gone up. Uh, Haunting of Hill House. I mean, uh, there, there's horrible, beautiful, the hanging. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, that is uh, horrible, beautiful. I do have a dispute with the end of it. I think it does change <laughs> a little bit too much. I won't go down that path yeah. and ruin anything, but, but uh, I think that that's one of the most magnificent things that horror has done in a while. Yeah. 30 coins is a, uh, uh, a Spanish horror uh, that is on HBO, oh, HBO nice. max. Uh, has HBO Europe involvement. Look up 30 coins. Basically, the idea is there are demons walking the earth trying to find the 30 pieces of silver from Judas that uh, they use to... to, do this thing to, to Christ, right? The the crucifixion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it, it has a little bit of religion, but then it goes Gnostic and starts talking about, uh, you know, Judas being the greatest of the prophets. And, uh, and then there's these things that uh, are being born into the world that shouldn't be born. And it's gory, it's crazy. And it does something that I think is great in horror, which is you need, uh, it's almost like you need religion to make really, really, really scary stuff. You need to have something that feels like you're trespassing in a place you shouldn't go. And so the, uh, the deeply Catholic Spanish, background that this movie or this show is in really makes everything hellish i think good christians know good hell (laughs) they just make things really disturbing and so uh i I highly recommend that one uh there's uh there's a fun one from korea uh called sweet home Okay. okay And uh, that's uh, monsters. It's just uh, like monsters are suddenly showing up in this apartment complex. It may be the end of the world. We're not sure. (laughs) And uh, it's stop motion monsters and real uh, uh, practical effects monsters and CG monsters. And uh, there's a story with everybody that's in every one of the apartment buildings. So I really think that there's something. Chernobyl, the first half of that miniseries is horror. Yeah, and the first episode is 100% made as a horror film, and I think that's one of the things that I say a lot. Uh, the other genres don't give respect to how much that they steal mm-hmm. from the language of horror. Uh, language of cinema is full of horror tropes that just are there to uh, make your stuff even a little bit better. I'm talking too much. I'm sorry. I'm no, 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 no. It's perfect. <laughs> I was almost worried to. I mean, you know, it's when you have someone new and like, how's, you know, how are they going to mesh with the, you know, art? And it's, it's just perfect. It's, it's yeah. thank, thank you. you. I, I, I love these things. These things are, uh, I miss conventions so much. I miss the late night conversations with the hard junkies. You know, we may be in a bar, but nobody's even drinking right. <laughs> like pots of coffee and stuff. Cause we're going to sit there and we're going to talk about all of this stuff. And I, you know, it's like uh, my kink is everybody else's kink. You know, it's the yeah. idea of what you're passionate about. I'm passionate about. I, right. I am hooked into people's passion, and so if I hear people talking about something that they truly dig and they get into, it's fantastic. And when it's horror, it's so much fun because we're talking about things that are naughty, I guess, but there's love in it. 
Right. These things have kind of saved our lives. And that's a weird yeah. thing to say. But horror, uh, a lot of the people who I meet in, in horror conventions, they're having a great second act. Mm-hmm. But the first act was really bad. Yeah. yeah. So much oppression, so much uh, depression, uh, so many bad, terrible thoughts, so much loneliness. Uh, there's a lot of that that has happened in people's lives. And now they're happy and healthy and all of this stuff. And they have this one thing that kind of got them through. Uh, uh, they all related to monsters and they all got into horror films and there is like this little venn diagram that you can see there's a lot of tattoos there's a lot of metal right. heavy metal and punk and stuff like that but uh there's there's also just the idea that uh, you can be a a lover of horror movies and horror shows and talk about it in a passionate way because it's almost like medicine for you Right. And I think that's that's fun. And it can be any, you know, it can be anything. Right. You know, if we're talking about happy and healthy, I say that uh, horror allows you to confront the darkest part of you with a, a safe handshake. It allows you to be okay with that part. Uh, it gives you a sense of play in an adult world where you don't get to play enough. It gives you community. You decide you want to talk about horror, there's somebody's going to give you a community. Right. And you get to be creative again. Most of the people that I know, like yourselves, you probably start started as fans of the stuff that you're talking about. Definitely. But I love the people who are compelled. They are compelled to create. We're not just spectators. Right. right. We can't just be spectators. We need to speak to it. And that is the stuff that really excites me. And if you have all those things in your life, I'm pretty sure it's a happy and healthy one because you've just got all the things that can allow you to express yourself and find your own family if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. And you... T- uh, write a lot about in your book about how horror is healing and and I, I you know it's it's so funny you know to hear that because a lot of the time you know as a maybe someone who's you know an outsider it's like what do you mean like horror is healing <laughs> right. you know but I'm I'm curious we're curious to know you know what is um when was like the, the first time that you truly felt that you were healed by horror you know and and does it still provide the same you know healing for you now, you know? That's a great question. I, I I don't think it happens all the time, but it's weird how it does. And one of the reasons that uh, I thought about the book was because not once, not twice, but three times in my life at different times with different uh, outcomes, horror was kind of there when I needed it to be there. So when I was a child, uh, I was in this you know, crazy religion that believed that the world was going to come to an end, which means I had like zero friends, you know, <laughs> you don't want to be that kid in school. Uh, and my, my family is divorcing and they're trying not to tell me because this is back in a time when divorce is still really, really bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's usually kids would say things like, what'd you do? to make your parents so sad that they had to break up. You know, oh you'd hear shit like that. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so uh, it was a really terrible time. And I was full of all this anxiety. And I saw, it's so funny. Uh, maybe that's why I'm so weird. But the first <laughs> horror film that I saw was an art film horror film. Of it was course. called Don't Look Now, Nicholas Rogue, 1974. And it starts with 
uh, a child drowning, but it's this incredibly stylistic thing uh, where this little girl is in a red raincoat. The parents are inside the house and they're kind of flirting and they're drinking and they just finished eating and the kids are out playing in their palatial English house with a little pond in it. And the son is riding around on his bicycle and the daughter has this doll. She's pulling it and saying, mommy, mommy, and stuff like that. And she's playing with a red ball and the ball goes into the pond and it keeps cutting between the parents and the ball and the son running around on the, on the bicycle and he breaks glass and, uh, and all this stuff. And all I want to do is find out what's happening to the girl. And I'm getting more and more and more anxious. And there's this really weird moment where the, the father is a architect and he's taken all these slides of a church that he has to renovate. And he spills wine or something on the, the slide and he goes, oh, and he's dabbing it off. And he puts it on a light board to see if it's damaged. And all of a sudden it starts to disintegrate, but it looks like the devil, you know, like this mm. weird bubbling, gross stuff starts coming out of the stained glass. And I'm like, this is evil. I'm seeing evil. And the music <laughs> is like this background, weird reversing thing. I'm like an eight-year-old kid watching this. And I'm like, what the heck is happening? And then the mother or the father just suddenly realizes something's wrong with the kids and he runs outside. And by then the daughter is already laying face first and floating down, slowly oh, fading into the pond. And he's running, trying to get to her. And there's this shot where he comes up from the water and his hair, he had like big, long, Afro curly hair. It's all over his face. And all it's showing is his mouth as an O screaming and his dead daughter in his hands. And it's in slow motion. The water's going everywhere. And the mom comes out she's screaming and it's just like i'm in shock and i stagger out of the house and obviously i don't know what has happened to me all i know is that for three nights i have nightmares and i'm screaming she's dead she's dead and my dad's like you're never watching horror right. movie again <laughs> oh my god but what i realize is that the horror movie said the things i couldn't say mm. so i was feeling all this stress and it wasn't the kid is dead it was parents can't save you. Parents won't be there for you. That was what I was feeling. And that was what I did not want to say out loud. Mm -hmm. I could not say out loud. I could not tell them how scared I was. And the horror movie said it for me. Right, right. And I, I didn't realize that till later, but I needed to see it again. So I didn't get so scared that I had three nights of that. And so that was the first time that after that, I started watching horror movies. It wasn't the, the real simple and easy ones. I liked getting scared. And I realized for some reason, I felt stronger when I made it through. It was like, whoo, that doesn't give me three days of nightmares anymore. <laughs> Right. And somehow that made me feel bigger, right? And I think horror came at many different times in my life when I didn't know I had a problem. You know, I like to say that uh, horror is like, uh, if you would, it, it takes care of the emotions we can't even articulate, right? It's like if I went to the psychiatrist and said, uh, he goes, what's wrong with you? And I go, I feel, I have no idea. It's like 800 emotions. I can't tell you what's wrong. That's why I'm at a psychiatrist. But <laughs> a horror movie can cut past the brain, you know, this thought thing that tells me, you know, I shouldn't be thinking these things. It goes right to the gut. And for some reason, it's able to uh, reach me. In, in, in that kind of way. And mm -hmm. I think it has that healthy thing. Once again, that's how music works. Right. You don't talk about how great a song is until you've heard it. 
You're falling in love first. You're, you're through this whole thing. It's changing how you feel while you're listening to it. And there are certain songs, I'm sure the first chord, when you hear it, you just go, whoop, what's that? Yeah. I got I got to turn it up, turn it up. This is my, this is my song. I love it. And I think that uh, it's because it affects the emotions that we don't know are needing some nurturing. And uh, a lot of times we won't nurture the the dark ones because that's not nice. That's not what good boys and good girls do, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, definitely. That's that's crazy. I, I I love hearing stories like that, you know, because I think as horror fans or whatever, you know, there definitely is always going to be something that definitely resonates with you and whatever you find, you know, like for me, it was always Carrie, you know, Brian oh, yeah. Paul Carrie. And I, you know, I, I, for some reason I, my parents allowed me to watch that movie as a little kid. And, <laughs> and I was, a, as a, you know, I, I always, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but you know, Sissy Spacex Carrie was my first like celebrity crush, yeah. you know, and there was just something. So like, I was so, as a kid, I was like, I, if I were in that, you know, in that movie, I could be the one to help her. Like she wouldn't have to die because yeah. I would be her friend and, right. you know, and then realize, you know, being older and looking back at that, you know, you definitely, I related to that because of like, you know, I saw Carrie who, you know, had a traumatic, you know, time at school and you know we can all relate to that as well and i definitely you talking about that i was always like i saw my you know perspective of that and i was like whoa yeah totally oh that's so great that's adorable i love it because that's <laughs> such a great and powerful character yeah yes. uh, carrie white is great not just because she's an outsider but the presence of mind that stephen king and brian de palma the director mm -hmm. had to let you know that nothing can be more bullying than someone who's been bullied, who suddenly gets power. Right. right. You know, that whole thing of how she can't turn off that rage. She can't stop striking once she has the power because she's been wronged for so, so long that, and I think that's one of the things that if I had to give King credit for anything, it's he understands bullies. He understands yeah. where these things come from. And I, I thought, that, I think that that's so great. And who wouldn't want to help Carrie? She's so, so helpless in so many different ways. And, right. she, and Sissy Spacek just knocks it out of the park. You can't not want to hug her. Yeah. And I think so often when we are affected by horror movies, when they reach us in that fashion, it's speaking to something about us that we don't want to look at. You know? It's something that hurts. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that's why, you know, Buffy was so big and, and things that are like that. Uh, being seen is so big. We don't really know until we get seen. And when we do get seen, you know, you're like, that's, I'm following that forever. And I think that horror allows some of our most awkward moments are the things that we hate the most of ourselves. Mm -hmm. It allows it to be seen and it doesn't kill us. And I think sometimes that's a very healthy thing. I think we are afraid of what might harm us when we're looking at that stuff inside of us. No, I don't want to look at that. That's if I look at that, I'm, my heart's going to break forever. Right. Well, it's going to break, but it's not going to be forever. Right. And, and horror in its weird way. It's like the Reaper, right? Don't fear the Reaper, whatever. <laughs> you know, right. you have this thing of like, oh, the Grim Reaper is scared. No, he guides you there. You were going to go alone. Right. It's like, hey, I'm here for you. Take my hand. 
you don't have to be alone. And that's huge. And, and that's, you know, at the moment when no one can be there for you, the Reaper can be. Right. And I think that horror has this unique ability to be there for that that moment, you know, and we have so many little moments like that. But I mean, I think it is something where our awkwardness, our our venality, when we're at our meanest, when we're at our most selfish, and we don't want to really look at that. And yes, we all have it. Mm -hmm. Horror allows us to see sometimes the bad guy. Yeah. Right. Sometimes, sometimes I'm the bad guy in the movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, definitely. It allows you to see that ugly side and you know, again, we talked earlier about, you know, living out our intrusive thoughts, but also mm -hmm. like living out that ugliness and, you know, and then realizing that, man, I don't want to do that. Or I don't, you know, I don't right, want right. that to be my ending. So that's definitely awesome. And it can be a happy dance, too. I mean, Day of the Dead is all about darkness, but the light at the end of the darkness. Right. So the dance is uh, a celebration. Uh, for now, let's say night, uh, say farewell to our ancestors, but I'm still here. So I'm going right. to dance and eat some cake. Right. So going back to you, we talked a lot about movies, true crime. Let's go back to the star of this episode, which is you. Um, oh, so no. and your book, <laughs> um, what do you want your readers to take from your book? Like what message do you want to convey? What do you want to take the outlook you are t showing in your book? Yeah. I think if there's anything, if anybody feels that want, you know, that thing of, I, I, I wish I could connect to something and be really excited. You know, we, uh, sometimes our lives are 72 and partly cloudy, right? Everything's mm -hmm. just kind of the same and it's okay, but it's not great. And if, if it can inspire anybody to follow a passion, whether it be horror or whatever it is, if it can spark that, to realize that there's nothing wrong with this and that it can be fun to talk about, to bring some joy to it. That's what I would love. I, what I want is everybody to start their own podcast. I want everybody that reads it to write a book. I want them to get in touch with me. And that's what's really cool. I mean, let's, let's put it this way. It's not, it's not making, I'm not going to get a mansion and a yacht and doing this <laughs> stuff. It's, not, it's yeah. not happening. But I get uh, emails and people just going, I need to tell you what my first kiss is. You know, that's awesome. I, this is what happened with me. And I got to tell you, you mentioned this thing. I didn't think anybody else ever had that. This is what happened with me. And when people relate and they connect in that way with me, and it's, we're talking about a horror movie. Well, we're not really talking about a horror movie, are we? We're talking about connecting as human right. beings. You know, I feel, you feel, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. And we find a, a nice way to do that through something that is a little bit strange, horror. And uh, so I hope that everybody does. So when I started uh, my podcast, I, I always would end it with, I want to start a conversation with you. This is a conversation. Mm -hmm. Get in touch with me. Let's argue about this stuff because that's the fun. The one-sided conversation isn't nearly as fun. Right. Uh, the uh, what people can bring to it is what's really enjoyable, and once again, it's that passion. So, yeah, I hope that it makes uh, it gets people to feel, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be a textbook, you know, it doesn't have to be a confessional, right. uh, it doesn't have to be uh, way too serious about the subject. Uh, it can be all of those things kind of mixed together, uh, and you can find your own way to tell that story. And uh, I'm looking forward to everybody's story. I'm selfish. I want more. <laughs> yeah. And that also goes back to just that we're all creating 
and adding to this horror community that we've all created. And I think your book is helping others do that as well. So yeah, absolutely. I I think it's great. I'm looking forward. Uh, You know, we just had a foreign horror film win best picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about kicking down some doors. And before that, two years before that, you had Guillermo del Toro do The Shape of Water. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're, it's, it's time. Yeah. It's time. I want, I want the, uh, what saved me in the 90s, which wasn't a great time for horror, there was a lot more serial killer movies, Mm -hmm. you know, thrillers. They went to thriller. Everything was PG 13 in a thriller. Uh, (laughs) But uh, you, you find, that foreign horror, Asian horror in particular at that time Mm -hmm. and and some Spanish horror, Argentinian horror. I started finding out all these things. It was like, okay, I've gotten all the heavy metal bands. Let's go to the import section. Right. right. (laughs) And so you find all this stuff and, and that's what ended up happening. I found a whole different language and a whole new way to get, jump scares that I didn't know were going to be done that way. Uh, Just little cultural differences, but the similarities were uh, much larger. And some of those movies, their, their tropes are just crazy compared to what we've got. And that was so enriching. So I'm looking forward to seeing where, different uh, viewpoints are going to take us, you know? Uh, And uh, I'm intrigued to see uh, all anybody who feels marginalized in any way, making their horror genre film. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm waiting for it. I had uh, uh, Waylon Jordan, who runs I Horror mm-hmm. on my show, uh, because he reviewed my book. And he showed me my blind spot. I, I talked about so many things, but I didn't really uh, talk about LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And it was like, how did I miss that? Yeah. And so it was like, let's, let's come on. We'll talk about this. And he gave me this list of movies. And we talked about that. And I'm like, we need more. We need more right now. I can't wait to see where this is going to go. And, and we're slowly seeing it. We're also seeing uh, admissions of some of the older films. Why are these such culty films? Why, why is everybody like uh, nightmare on Elm street two so much? Right. Well, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> and see, yeah. see what's there. Right. And so I, I think that that's great. I, I want to see more uh, women of color making mm-hmm. horror films. You know, I think uh, Lovecraft country yeah, was absolutely. really great. Oh my God. And, and there's just so much there. I think there, uh, there's, uh, there's movies coming out about religious things. Uh, there's a, a, a horror movie uh, that's on Shudder now, which is about the Hasidic Jewish community and a guy leaving that. And one nice. of the old ghosts follows him. And people are like, this is great because no one ever used to talk about this stuff. Right. You know, we're getting horror movies from the Iraqi point of view of the war. These are important horror right. films, you know, even if they're silly and stuff, they're talking about our anxieties. And mm-hmm. I think we're starting to get a little bit more of a look at who we really are. And we're having our little nervous breakdowns and we're yeah. having our moments of, uh, we have to be accountable and it's causing great firestorms, but that's where horror can help. You know, yeah. it is this place where it's the itch that you don't want scratched that has to get scratched. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm excited to see what happens. I, I I want a phasing out of some stories. You know, I've heard the stories often. I'm I'm really intrigued to see where it goes and it doesn't ever have to change anything. What I love about a lot of the horror movies that I love that are directed by women, it's not a reinvention of the wheel. It's just a switch of uh, perspective that changes just a little bit. And, and I catch it when I feel it, I go, Oh, I'd have never thought of that. 
That's yeah. really cool. And I can't wait to see what happens as, as we continue to move forward on that. I, yeah. I, you know, it's, uh, it, we're in an exciting time. And with, uh, even though we're in the pandemic and right. uh, who knows what's going to be left of movie theaters, there are so many tributaries to the, the Nile that is horror at this point. You have so many streaming uh, groups that are buying up whatever they can to, uh, and the horror is, <coughs> excuse me, horror is the thing that they go to first. Mm-hmm. It's cheap. There's a whole bunch of it. Put it on there. And uh, I'm excited because they're giving things a chance that they normally wouldn't get a chance. Uh, I think uh, Parasite is a great uh, example. It being able to be seen by as many people as it got to be seen by. Right. Yeah. It was word of mouth. And that's usually the kind of movie it had happened before. There was funny games and, and uh, battle Royale Mm -hmm. movies like that, that uh, got this great groundswell, but they never went any further because it could only be seen in the fringe cinemas. And now the fringe cinema can be in your house. If you pay a rate. And, right. and so I'm really excited by that. And I, I think uh, it's a great time to be someone who loves horror. And it's a great time to be someone who wants to make it. And I can't yeah. wait to see what you do. Yeah, that's yeah. beautifully said. Yes. And again, yeah, looking forward to so much. I mean, there's, you know, the new Candyman remake, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. I, I just a lot of things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask so a controversial we, question. Let's do um, it. <laughs> what, uh, what do you feel uh, about sequels versus remakes? Uh, if they're, uh, which do you prefer? Good question. That's a great question. Um, We've discussed remakes. Yeah. For me, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the remakes. Yeah. I, well, maybe not a fan of the remakes, but I, it doesn't bother me. I yes, I think that if if you're one of those people that's like, this is going to ruin my favorite movie. I'm like, <laughs> then why, why are you giving it so much power? Don't right. watch it, right. you know? Right. And right. I think usually, you know, I mean, we we did an episode about um, The Craft Legacy, which was yes. the sequel. Oh, slash, yeah. You know, yeah. and while that movie, you know, had a <laughs> lot of... Um, Low budget. Uh, yeah, you know, and it just, you know, a, a lot of it was not that great yeah i mean you had not only you one of the characters you had a trans witch you know in it which is fucking amazing yeah. you yeah. had you know uh the a whole subplot about you know consent and mm-hmm. and and consent when it comes to men you know which you never see you know and, right and i think it did a lot of really cool things and i think that without having those remakes or that you know interest to want to reboot everything we you know we wouldn't have stuff like that. Right. And while, you know, maybe we were not, it's demographic. We were too old De- for yeah, it. Definitely not. How many, how cool <laughs> is it to think that there's a teenager out there, you know, someone who is in the LGBTQ plus community who's watching that and being like, Oh damn. Like, right. you know, th- that's so cool. I guess I see myself in that witch or I, 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 right. I just think, I think it does a lot of good and I think people shit on it too hard. I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel pretty much the same way. I, I prefer remakes to sequels because mm-hmm. I think that sequels mm-hmm. basically, you know, especially for horror, because horror, so much of what makes horror great is that it doesn't answer all the questions. Right. And a sequel invariably has to answer some questions because right. you're you're at this this point of why are you back at this story? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for sequels, most of the time they go back to the source, they, they carve away from the story mm-hmm. until there's nothing left. When they leave 
uh, and you no longer have any uh, sequels left, it's just a dead husk. It's like a, a vampire draining the body. Right. Whereas to me, a remake allows for a reimagining and expression. Now, a bad remake is just the same thing done, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, with different colors. Yeah. Uh, but when you can reinvent, when you can take it to a whole different place and uh, bring a uh, not just a modernization, but a change in perspective that's when i think it gets really amazing i mentioned john carpenter's a thing i mean that's mm -hmm. such an 80s film versus the 50s film that it was originally based on mm -hmm. and people forget that that's a remake yeah and uh the Fly was another one from that time that was a very much a different story. I love when uh, they get meta. There was uh, The Town That Dreaded Sundown that came out a couple years ago and was based on a 1976 drive-in movie that just had a lot. It was a true crime thing. You would love it because it's true crime. Mm -hmm. It's this the murders that happened in Texarkana, Texas, and Arkansas mm -hmm. at the border. And uh, the guy who was the killer used the fact that the two... Uh, police departments didn't want to talk to each other as a way to continue oh, his spree. And it was very well known for a stupid moment, <laughs> which was right. he ties a girl up at a high school to a tree and uses a trombone with a knife on it to stab her. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this was like the, the, uh, the big thing of the, uh, of the, excuse me, of the one from the seventies, mm -hmm. but the remake uh, be, uh, the thing that happened with that movie is that in Texarkana, Texas, every year they show that movie on the date that it opened or when the last murder was. Mm -hmm. And people sit in the drive-in, they open up a drive-in, and it's like this whole thing, a cultural thing that we, uh, we're part of this movie. And they, the meta part is the movie, the, the remake, acknowledges the first one exists. And then right. they're watching the first one. Right. And so there's kind of like a copycat killer situation that's happening. Mm -hmm. But the killer is doing things that only the police knew. So like, wait a second, this guy has knowledge that he shouldn't have. And so it's funny because it allows you to know that the, the world of the cinema has actually happened here. It updates the characters. It fleshes out uh, the, the type of people that would be in the world at that time. And... Uh, and just essentially, um, it's it's a little bit nastier and more violent, but it was it's just such a great idea. The, the, what they ended up doing with that uh, movie, I thought, was a great remake. Yeah. And yeah. so I love when you take inventive chances. Right. And I don't think sequels allow you an inventive chance. You're you're basically continuing the story as it were. Right. And so uh, the, the, the remake allows you to, uh, I think, uh, really shitty movies make great remakes. Yeah, you know, yeah. the movie that, it's, oh, it was great back then, but nobody uses a telegraph anymore. Right, right. Why would that be a major part of this movie? <laughs> yeah. uh, when, when you can update it in a way and take an idea that was slow mm -hmm. uh, or weird, uh, I think you, you can make something great. I was thinking about there's this one really cheesy horror movie that I absolutely loved and scared me as a kid. It was called The Car. <laughs> and it was about the devil in a car, I guess. And That's it was chasing fear. people and running them over. It was <laughs> Jaws with tires, right, out in the desert. But I watched it with fresh eyes mm -hmm. uh, as it was on uh, Shutter, And I started to realize the veiled racism that oh. runs through that movie. Yeah. And it's set in uh, Arizona, I believe, in the desert there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the... Uh, 
police force are Native Americans. Mm. And the people who are in town resent that. And so there's this little thing that's happening all the time uh, around that story. And the car doesn't kill the racist and the wife beater. It goes around him and kills an innocent person. And I was like, that's interesting. I didn't notice that as a kid. And I started thinking about what would you do to update that to make that really interesting? Instead of having it like several days of this car they can't catch, do it real time, hour and a half at a protest rally. Oh. And just like back in the uh, la- a couple of years ago, where that guy drove right into the the, the protesters, yeah, yeah, have that be what's happening. Mm-hmm. What's cool about the car is the car itself. They made this car that was a mixture of a bunch of like foreign cars and American cars. So you didn't know what kind of car it was, and the police could never explain what the car was. It was the devil's car. <laughs> but I thought it has to be a good old fashioned American muscle car, right? Right. Because because that's the the dying lion mentality that would be what the devil would be driving and you could have the uh, the alt right folk mm-hmm. uh being the people who are marching with this fucking car right, right. you know supporting the, uh, the the devil that was yeah, hated yeah. in the first movie right. so uh, you know uh, something as simple as that something as silly you can come up with an idea by watching the old movie again oh, and what? going i wouldn't remake this verbatim but you know they were talking about something that's really interesting and i think a lot of the shittier movies have a lot of social significance when you go back to them because they're exploitation films. They need to exploit what people don't want to talk about. They need to exploit what's driving grandma crazy. All that stuff, you know, uh, has to be in that movie to, to draw the flies. Right. And invariably they're telling us a lot about us. Sometimes things we don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, that's my thought on that. Definitely. I, (laughs) I love it. You know, I mean, one of my favorite recent movies is the Suspiria remake. And I think that, oh, wow, that is such a perfect like example of you have a great original film and you have a great remake and they go, I mean, watching them back to back is such a treat, you know, because they're so they're different enough that you're not watching the same movie, but they're also like, you know, the main heart of the story is in both of them and it's just it's i i can literally talk about this beer for hours so i won't go into it but i, yeah. I that's an amazing uh, it's an amazing remake uh and i've i what i love about it is that i'm of two minds of it mm-hmm. because the first one is such a such a strange experience that it's almost like it had to be as it was made Right. You can't have any colors, big bright colors and stuff in the remake because no. that movie was nothing but colors. Right. You can't have this big crazy driving music. It has to be different. So you yeah. go to Berlin and browns and grays mm. and greens and it has to be somber and has to be disturbing in a way that the the first one wasn't. You need to flesh out these ca- characters. And so it's a, it's a completely different experience. And I think, uh, I, I think some people uh, that had a problem with it would have preferred it just wasn't called Suspiria because right. it didn't, uh, because it didn't have, you know, some of the yeah. things, but it has the witches, has yeah, the mother of size. You have it the has dancing all of that. and you have the witches, you know, and no men. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. How awesome. I, I, I blew my mind to find out that Tilda Swinton. I, was... I had no idea. And it wasn't until I, and I love Tilda Swinton again, one of my other weird crushes. Um, <laughs> oh, I love her. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 we probably have a lot of the same crushes. I have a feeling. I, yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> well, Scott. Oh dear. Now that we're friends, it's Scott. Now that we're friends, it's Scotty boy. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Scott. Um, okay, so we like to end each episode after we, you know, talk about some heavy stuff. We like to end it kind of like on a more lighthearted um, note. And okay. so we usually like to do a quiz of some sort. Not really. So that's lighthearted, right? Do you like accounting mm -hmm. is what you do? <laughs> a quiz. Oh, nice light right. quiz. Well, this one's very fun. So it's more of like a personality quiz than yeah. like a, oh, tri than okay. a trivia mm -hmm. quiz. Yeah. Um, and maybe <laughs> if we have time, we'll probably end up doing two of them. But um, this one, I just think is fun. We talked a lot about directors and horror movies and i found this one that is if your life were a scary movie which horror film director would direct it and i'm curious to know who's going to be directing s.a bradley's horror film so are you I'm going to demand that I do it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you get none of the rights until I do it. All right. So let's get into it. I'm curious who is directing your movie according to Buzzfeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know uh, who, uh, if, uh, if I had a director now that's working, uh, I'd love to see what Ari Oster would do, but I think Mike Flanagan. Oh, I think, uh, oh yeah. I, I, I think Mike Flanagan just, understands empathy he gets the scary but he's just so good at uh getting to the deep part of uh, the trauma of uh, the characters and he's been doing that for a while now and i yeah. i've really liked and respected his movie i, was, what, I also really like scott derrickson with him we just covered a mike flanagan movie dr sleep Oh, Dr. Sleep. Duh. Yeah, Dr. Sleep. Uh, uh, underrated movie. I, yeah, I get I, yeah. that. A lot when you were like... talking about sequels, yeah. I was like, I actually really appreciated that sequel. Yeah, I, I, I've liked a lot of what he's done. I also like Scott Derrickson. He hasn't done as much, but uh, he's probably most known now for the Doctor Strange movie. He got that mm. gig, but he did the possession of Emily, or the exorcism of Emily oh, Rose. Yeah. Right. And that was just really, really good. And uh, I, I liked him because. He's pretty upfront about being a Catholic and mm -hmm. that he brings that to his movies. I, and like I've said before, I'm not a religious person, mm -hmm. but I do think that there's something uh, when uh, someone takes something that they're passionate about and they own and they bring that to their work that you can get some really dark stuff. I mean, The Exorcist, the thing that scares us the most was uh, done by a uh, Jesuit priest, you know, an ex-Jesuit so priest funny. wrote that. And uh, I mean, some of the darkest stuff, if you want to really creep yourselves out, if you haven't read the book, you don't have to read the whole book, Right. get it and read the first page. There's a first page that is unrelated to anything that's in the book. And it's just about the nature of evil. And it's one of the scariest things I ever read. And it's just excerpts from horrible things that have happened in life. And that's how he opens it. And I think he, uh, Blatty just had this grasp of evil he saw it as a tangible real thing right like a, like a tiger that's something that you would fight and i think because he was in that mindset he created this thing that 
basically was a virus that we all got. You know that that whole scary idea of possession. I, you know, I'm I still get freaked out by possession movies. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if I believe in anything like that, yeah, but right. I still yeah. get scared by them. Right. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. You know, I would be. I mean, I don't even. I always joke about how I'm possessed. He sure does. He has a voice and everything. <laughs> but <Yeah>. I'm. <laughs> But then, like, when I'm at night sleeping, I'm always like, oh, my God, please, like, you know, <laughs> please don't actually let me be possessed, please. Oh, my God. Um, but anyway. All right. Let's get into this quiz because I'm I'm curious. All right. Okay. So first question for Scotty Tot. What <laughs> scares you the most? So it's going to give you some options. So is it your love life, your relationship with yourself, other people? your relationship with your family, social norms, or your friends? A little deep for a BuzzFeed really quiz. Is. Jesus. Wow. I'll tell you. What, what was the question again? I, what scares you the most? Okay. What scares me the most? Yes. Wow. That's a great question. Yeah. BuzzFeed. <laughs> yeah. BuzzFeed. What the it's usually fuck? like, what? Pepperoni. What pizza <laughs> topping do you like? This right. One, this one got in your like. existential angst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I, I guess the thing that scares me the most uh, is family. You know, uh, Toby Hooper, who did uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he calls the Texas Chainsaw Massacre a a, a comedy. <laughs> that uh, he said I was at uh, my parents' Thanksgiving one year. And it got really grim. And I started thinking about the movie. And then I went for Christmas presents. And it was really, really packed in the J.C. Penney's. And I started being pushed towards all these chainsaws that were on display. And goes, I know how I could clear this place out really quick. Was, <laughs> but he was uh, his whole thing is that movie is all about dysfunctional families. That yeah. family can scare you more than anything else. They put the buttons in you that are there to press. And so, yeah, family is probably the scariest. They know me. And they and yet they don't know me right yeah True. no absolutely I family can be a. Whew. it can be a lot okay so next question is which scary movie villain do you most identify with we have the classics here jason Voorhees, my personal favorite mm -hmm. freddy krueger chucky the nun Ghostface, or pale man oh boy wow uh i who do I relate to the most? Um, you know, the one that I relate to the most isn't there, which uh, is uh, Frankenstein, because mm, Frankenstein oh. was, you know, uh, the Frankenstein monster, that is, right. because uh, that was the one that I felt when I was a kid, I was scared to death of him. And mm -hmm. then I wasn't when he was right. like playing with the kid and yeah. then he hurts the kid. And the most you're like, oh, no, I knew. Yeah, I knew those socially awkward things. I didn't drown anybody, right, but at right. the same point, there was the whole thing of, I have no friends. Oh, they're going to be my friend. Oh, I just really did the terrible thing and they all hate me. Story I'll never have friends my again. life. <laughs> yeah, and so that's, that's the guy. But if I had to, boy, I guess Jason would probably be the one because... He, uh, I had this moment of like that bully thing. I was bullied and then right. I had my revenge. Mm -hmm. I, I would feel bad for anybody who thought that they related with Freddy Krueger. He's a child molester <laughs> yeah. who got burnt <laughs> yeah. to death. I mean, that's, that's hard, hardcore shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jason is a great answer. Yes. Good one. Good one. All right. So th this question is actually kind of funny because we talked about 
how you just want to <laughs> step away from labels. But here it is. It's going to make you do one. Choose a horror subgenre. So the options they give you are thriller, slasher, gore, gothic, psychological, and found footage. So uh, I'm picking it as the one that I that, like the most? A one that you like the most, yeah. I guess, like if you had to choose. Okay. Um, I think the one that has the, the most depth, breadth, and scope out of those would be uh, the psychological because it can be supernatural and right. not be supernatural exactly. at the same yeah. point. And so uh, the, the fear of going crazy, I think a lot of the best horror like invasion of the body snatchers mm. and uh, it's about identity the shining scary because he's going nuts right yeah and so the the idea that you're no longer in control of who you are your identity itself that's that's the psychological and i think it also touches close to home uh, you know gothic i love the look of gothic uh, and i love that it's so not my normal day of life uh that that's that's a, a great oops i'm sorry that's a great like joy a- for me to uh, to uh, look at those i love gore movies too but if i had to pick one that just has a, a real rich base to it uh i i would say uh the psychological horror the one that is the most could be so good and it just doesn't get the the engine running that well is found footage if they could just like right. i watched host Mm. Uh, uh, the the Zoom horror yeah, yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. I thought that that was about heard, as good as it could get. I heard good things about it. I want to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really good. It's short because they they take the limitations of Zoom, right. a free Zoom account, into uh, account for the way that the film is, and everything that you've ever had go wrong uh, in a Zoom uh, thing that you do uh, is exploited as a supernatural bit. So it could be good. There's something. Uh, I still think that Blair Witch and uh, Paranormal activity mm-hmm. are two really great horror films that yeah. because they were so influential don't get the the props that they should but they're experimental they're true cinema they're real cinema like uh paranormal activity just putting the camera there and having sound we're doing all the work the audience is looking all the way right. through that screen you're freaking yourself out there's nothing wrong with that that's actually a great use of, of uh, the uh, the cinema and our imaginations which is what we go to to spin on but yeah psychological psychological is going to be my answer let's do it okay so the next one it's like a a visual yeah so we're gonna have to show we're gonna you have to show you okay Ooh, but, but this the, is getting good but the question says which aesthetic best describes your soul so we're gonna show you these images <laughs> they're all my kind soul of weird. your soul okay okay Ooh. wow uh <laughs> what am i looking at here they're um kind of weird okay pictures. i see those guys those are the first two Okay, let's take and a look at the got... next two. Ooh. Oh dear. For our oh, listeners, I, it's I like... think the the fourth one down, the dark uh, almost looks like the forest. You know, that's uh, the forest is uh, like really big for me. Uh, it's where I ran when uh, my family life was a little bit too much. Mm. When I had no friends, and I went to the woods, and the woods are just as old as storytelling it's the woods are the metaphor for everything and dark woods that's 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 my john right there that's my jam and i'm all over that, that works <laughs> yeah absolutely 
All right. So this one is if your life were a horror movie, what would the title be? Now, you can't create your own title. So they're okay. going to give you some that, you you know, producers made you name. All right. It's is the essay Bradley movie called What the Neighbors Know? <laughs> is it called Run with an exclamation point at the end? Is it called Ghosted Ooh. or Sent from Hell? Or the never-ending nightmare, <laughs> or but really, comma get out. Oh, oh, that's funny. I like that. That could that should be the sequel. But right. really, <laughs> that's great. Oh, uh, just because I love uh, I love titles like that. Run, just yeah, the yeah. Whole, run. It'd be like what I'm. I'm there. Yeah. it's like a time machine, hot tub time machine. I'm there. <laughs> You're telling me what the thing is. Uh, oh, God. Okay. We have another, another visual, visual question for you. For you. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. Okay. It says, this is the last question. It says, finally, which image will you probably will probably haunt your nightmares tonight? Oh, These dear. These are nice and ugly, so enjoy, sir. Uh, a little horrible, beautiful, perhaps. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So we got the first <laughs> two there. Okay. We've got those oh dear oh my and then we've got that oh boy uh, you know i was about to say the, the the fourth one but no that last one that is my nightmares the one with the what just the it? shadow that you're not quite sure if that's a person or not and yeah. it's like this oh. weird almost... tone color and it's not looking at me it's looking from the side like it really may be looking for me but it hasn't seen me yet oh that's oh my, my that's my nightmares. When I was a kid, that's pretty much. I won't say that I had like the the uh, the sp sleep paralysis, oh. but I used to have shadows mm -hmm. that would come off the wall when I was oh, a kid, no. and they'd oh never God. make it to the bed. They'd always like fall. But man, so seeing it's, shadows is it's like the worst. I have sleep paralysis, oh. and I still struggle with it. Wow, and, and I'm always just today's the day. Just let me die. I'd rather <laughs> like <laughs> oh, let God. me go. Um, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's kind. Of, you know, I've gotten to a point where I, it's almost exciting now because oh I God. know. Well, <laughs> listen. I, I. Wait. What kind of visitations are you having? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I have a thing. What for end of monsters. the bed are they coming to? I got a thing for monsters. So my sleep paralysis demon. You know, they'd be looking a little. You know, I'm a little lonely sometimes. No, um, but it, it's almost I know that I'm going to live it now. I'm I, I like I'm going to survive. So it's almost like, all right, let's see what happens. And then if I don't and I actually am getting possessed, well, then damn, that's exciting. Oh, wow. So this is uh, so we're basically having a sleep over here. So I'll just tell you, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that, I love like the worst nightmare I've ever had. I had this recurring nightmare and it still comes up every so often. So as I mentioned, I was in this fundamentalist religion that mm -hmm. was really, really powerful and disturbing and kind of like the Amish and stuff. It has its own little clan. You don't hang with anybody else. What? And Did you so, wear cute uh, outfits? What was that? <laughs> Did you wear cute outfits? I, I wore a really bad Botany 500 suit. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's kind of like everything. Little fucking Buster Brown suit. Like, <laughs> but uh, 
what they believe, one of the things that they believe is that you're constantly at a war with demons. They're everywhere. Oh, yeah. They're like right here, right now. And so sin, they eat sin. They All they want to do is torment you for the rest of your life. And I mean, when you think about it, that's some boring afterlife. You're sitting around, you have nothing better to do. You're a supernatural being and all you can do is sit around and, and poke fun at a kid. Yeah. I don't know what you are, but uh, it's still deep in me. And Ooh. so I would have this recurring dream, this nightmare that I'm an adult and I have my own apartment and it's an old stereo system playing records, you know, turntable records. And I've got this nice shag carpet and a nice couch, all these things that as a kid, I thought, oh, I really want. And in the dream, I'm in the room and the record starts to slow down. And I'm like, what the heck is it worked? And the light kind of flickers a little bit. I'm like, oh, and I go to walk over to the record player and something jumps on me. I can't see it. Takes oh, me right no. to the ground. The ottoman or whatever, the, the, the blanket that's over the couch is wrapping around me. I can't scream. And it's kind of like laughing. And in the dream, the thing that's terrifying is it's like, I go, they were right. Oh. And that's the scary thing. That that is great. Oh. That's a movie there, that man. That is a movie. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that, that freaks me out just th- saying it again. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's how deep that stuff goes. Right. And I think that's why uh, the, that part of the subconscious, there's the lizard brain in me yeah. that will never let that demon stuff. Uh, it'll never let me be. And I can be watching a whole bunch of horror movies. I went to see Paranormal Activity the day it opened. Mm. I had to come back and, and wash it down and drag me to hell. I needed something that would make <laughs> me laugh. But uh, I, I watched that movie. And at, when it first played in the theaters, uh, they had no credits at the end. It just oh. ends. Yeah. And it's in dark. And we were in this theater in San Francisco, and it's staying dark. And a minute goes by, and it's dark, and everybody starts freaking out. Yeah. And one guy goes, turn on the fucking lights! <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And I thought, what a great end. And then I was going to my car, and I kept thinking about the broad daylight where it blows in her hair. Mm-hmm. And and that's like, okay, I'm used to the scares at night and right. all that. But right. the idea that it would attack me you know, no fair, you know, rail, you know, we're, I'm at home base. No fair. You can't mm-hmm. do that. That's cheating. Uh, it just scared the, the heck out of me. And so that night I had to watch drag me to hell. Cause that one <laughs> that always is... gives me a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'm sad that these dreams are still reoccurring, yeah. but you know, it oh, gets... it's so rare now, but well, good. Oh, that's good. Good. That's good, good. Good. Well, all right. Are you ready to see or hear who's directing the S.A. Bradley biopic horror sure. movie? All right. It is no other than Mr. Jordan Peele. Ooh. That's a pretty good. People are going to come see it. They're going to be oh, a little yeah. confused. Absolutely. They're like, they're, they might recast you with the black man. <laughs> fair enough. Right. <laughs> Turnabout's fair play. <laughs> You've spent your whole life questioning social constructs and norms, and you aren't afraid to explore uncomfortable and downright terrifying concepts. I mean, truly. True. That's why yeah. your life totally has the makings of a good Jordan Peele horror movie. That's well, awesome. I love that. And that's one of the things that I love about Jordan. 
And uh, just the idea that even back in uh, Key and Peele, you knew he yeah. was a horror fan. Yeah. It was so obvious. And I loved how much they were in love with genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Scotty Toddy. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> we, this was so much fun. It was. First of all, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for thank your you. time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Real joy to get to speak awesome. with both of you. Thanks for the, the honor of your time. Thank yeah, you. no, please. Anytime, you know, I I could talk to you for plenty more hours, but <laughs> we uh, do. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug? I mean, obviously go get his book, um, Screaming for Pleasure. Yeah. Uh, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, I also have it where if you go to my website, hellbentforhorror.com, uh, you can take a look uh, at I have the ISBN numbers there. So if you have uh, any kind of issue, you take umbrage with any of the big stores and what they're doing. If you want to go to your, your mom and pop, the, the independent cool. bookseller that you want to help, I, they will be more than happy to order it for you just using that number. So I, I love to, of course, it's it's great that Amazon and everybody has it, but I also like to to keep the other bookstores alive if yeah, they possibly absolutely. can be. And so you can find that there at my webpage as well. You can also uh, find me on Instagram, Hellbent for Har, Twitter, just like you folks had. Uh, it's just a little <laughs> bit off. So yeah, mine's Hellbent yeah. Har. You can't have the four for yep, some damn yep. reason nope. and everything else is held in for horror on all the wonderful spots you can listen to the podcast on spotify and pretty much anywhere that you uh can listen it's now on uh audible as well oh, cool. uh, so uh, it gets around um and i think that's about it i'm i'm hoping to be in some uh more conventions. I did some uh, virtual conventions that maybe all that happens again this year, but I've been able to get to speak some of the gospel at some horror conventions and some uh, book conventions, which is a lot of fun. And uh, you can always check my website to see where I may be. Well, perfect. Great. Perfect. Like that sleep paralysis demon that won't go away. Right. S.A. Bradley is there for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to talk a little bit more about the sleep paralysis. Did you, did you, did you watch that documentary? No, I couldn't do it because I was so terrified that that was going to lead me to have a sleep paralysis oh, night again. I didn't want to watch it. I, there is one moment in that that scared me so bad. And I was like, I don't have sleep. They did it so well. Uh, it has to do with a phone that keeps ringing. Uh, yeah. It's, oh, no. Wow. My so thing, too, because I'm obsessed with my dog. My dog is my life, and she sleeps right next to me. And one that happened recently was that it was going towards my dog, and oh, I couldn't no. do anything to stop it. Ooh. Like, I'm like, kill me. Don't kill my dog. You know? <laughs> God damn it, demon. Yeah, so that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't um, attractive. That one, I was mad at my sleep paralysis boyfriend. Good, good. But, I'm happy to hear that. But absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Again. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Eddie. This is wonderful. Yes. This was great. Um, again, you guys can follow us at Nightmares and Chill everywhere. Twitter, Nightmares Chill. Mm -hmm. Email us um, if you have any questions or if you have any questions for uh, S.A. Bradley. We'd love to get them answered it's for you. It's Scott now. Oh, yeah. Scott. Sorry. We're on a we're on a first name basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure. It's always fun to talk to to real fans of what they do. Perfect. Bye. Bye.